Made for Mondays, Finding God in the Ordinary. Um, we're continuing our series that we started a few weeks ago, which is taking us through the book of Ruth. And I'll admit, when I first started off on this series, I thought we'd be tackling more of the nuances of the Monday through Friday grind. And it's taken more of a relational turn than I ever thought it would. But what I love about it is I think it highlights the importance and the significance of how much relationships matter, who we spend our time with matters, who we marry matters, who we date. Uh, just relationships matter. We're relational beings. And today, we're going to watch as Boaz and Ruth actually start to get to know each other. They start to date in a way that will prepare them for a marriage that will honor God. So today, we're talking about dating. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about building a life of righteousness. But I want to start with dating. So for those of you who are married too, you can answer this. How many of you would agree that dating was or can be awkward? Anyone? I thought it was super awkward. The most awkward part was always like, just what do I wear? Then what do I say? And is this date good enough? Or the worst too is at the end of the date, you're like, what do you do at the end of the date? Do you like, do the side hug? Do you fist bump? Like, I still remember my first time with Amanda. We went out for coffee, and, and I hugged her at the front porch, and then she kind of gave me the tap, like, okay, get away from me. I'm like, oh, man. So I still bug her about that to this day. But dating, it can just be kind of awkward. The, the most awkward time was when I actually flew to Missouri to meet someone. I'd had my tonsils taken out, and I was stuck in bed recovering, and I met someone online. And I thought, hey, I'm not up to anything for the next little bit. I'm going to fly to Missouri and meet this person that I met and see how things go. Well, it's awkward because not only was it just like, okay, we met. Now I'm staying there for a few more days. So it's like, I knew right away it wasn't going to go anywhere. So now I'm like, I'm here for three more days before my flight. Like, talk about awkward. But dating has changed now. Like, Online dating for me was literally on this Christian website that I had signed up for. Now you have apps that you can download. You can, uh, smartphones weren't even around back when I was still dating. But I know some people ask, like, what do you think of online dating? And I just admitted that I, I, I participated in it. But I, I think one of the difficulties with online dating nowadays is that we can commoditize people. We can treat people like a commodity. Now, that's not always the case. I, I've been part of weddings that people have met online, and they have a great marriage and a great relationship. But I think that the trouble is we're being programmed like this is the type of person I'm shopping for. This is the type of person I want. And it can almost be a little degrading. And of course, it's wise to know what you want, but I believe that we've made it so easy, and there seem to be so many options that we're never actually satisfied. Like, we might actually be with a person that's really great, but it's like, oh, man, there were three other people online that had these things about them. So I am going somewhere with all of this. Trust me. I'm going somewhere. We're going to keep studying the book of Ruth, and today we're back in chapter 2. And to bring you up to speed, if you missed out, we're looking at a Moabite woman, Ruth, who left Moab for Bethlehem, and she got completely transformed, and she began worshiping the God of Israel. 
And this week we're going to watch as Ruth, a widow, gets to know this man, Boaz. And he's a man of standing. And his name means strong. It means he's a man of integrity. And we're going to watch them get to know each other. And we're going to see principles that will help you date wisely and will strengthen your marriages. So I want you to enjoy this week. Just dive into it with me and enjoy it because I believe it's practical and it's helpful. And then next week, I'm going to warn you now, it gets weird. So don't miss next week. I'm going to teach very directly what gets weird in the Bible, and it doesn't hold back. So I'm just going to warn you. Strange things are ahead, but that's next week. The principle for today is this. We're all looking or shopping for the type of person we want, whether it be a, a spouse or a friend. But I would suggest that instead of looking for what you want to get from someone, I would suggest that you look at what you want to give someone. So it's not just about who you're getting, it's about who you're becoming. It starts in here. It starts with you. And why is this so important? Because you don't just attract what you want, you tend to attract what you are. And we're gonna see that play out in scripture today. We're gonna look at four signs that you might have a keeper. So Boaz is checking Ruth out, and we're going to see four things happen. And the first four things that we're going to see is this. We're going to see that he is actually seeking character. We're going to see that they're exploring connection. Then we're going to see that they're showing consideration for one another. And then they begin receiving confirmation. So I hope you see the four C's there because it's always more anointed when it's boom, 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 four C's in a row. I don't know. (laughs) They're seeking character, exploring connection, showing consideration, receiving confirmation. And I want to break these down one by one. But let's first make sure we understand the context. Boaz is a landowner and he's a lover of God. He's a good leader and he's very kind and he's very generous to Ruth. And she's a little bit surprised, like she's taken aback, wondering, why are you being so kind to me? So in chapter 2 of Ruth, verse 10, says this, After this, Ruth, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Boaz, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you take notice of me, a foreigner? So we get this sense that she's a little bit insecure, But what I love about this is there's no mention about her physical appearance. We don't know what she looks like, and Boaz isn't focusing on the outside. But what's way more important than what's on the outside is he's looking at what's on the inside. And we're going to see the first thing he does is he highlights who she is as a person because he is seeking character. So watch how he replies. Ruth says, why me? And Boaz replies, I've been told all about essentially your character, all about what you've done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you did not know. And what he's saying is, I heard that you stopped worshiping the false god Chemosh. I I heard that you left Moab and you came and you turned to the one true God and worshipped him. I heard that you were loyal to your mother-in-law when your sister-in-law Orpah wasn't and stayed back. I can see that you're not playing the victim. You're not just sitting back waiting for someone else to take care of you. You're not looking for a handout. Instead, you got up early. 
You, show, you showed up to the field, you started to work, you were gleaning in the field, and you didn't do what many women at that time were tempted to do when they had no other options, which is to sell their body to meet their needs. He's saying, you didn't do any of that. You have godly character. So I have to ask the question, are you a person of character? Are you growing in spiritual character? And I'm not talking about like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home or I'm not one of these other religions. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Buddhist. So that must, I'm, I'm a Christian. No, I mean, do you have true character? Are you a genuine disciple of Jesus? Because I've met people that get wasted on a Saturday and show up to church hungover on a Sunday. That used to be part of my story. I've met people who will go from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed, asking God to bless them along the way, or wondering, why does God feel so distant? So are you a person of spiritual character? And why does this matter? It matters because you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. I think that's one of the biggest struggles we wrestle with. But you can't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. If you want a godly marriage in the future, it's really wise to seek God and live a godly life today. So what does it mean to have a godly character? Well, it means a lot of things. Are you seeking God and his word? Are, are, you, are you studying it? Are you letting his word change you? Are you a person that doesn't just go to church or watch a video online, but you're actually serving in the church or serving as the church? How do you live? Do you tell the truth in conversations? Do you treat people with honor and integrity? Are you being conformed to the image of Christ? In other words, do you look more like Jesus and behave more like Jesus and love more like Jesus today than you did a few months ago? It doesn't mean that you're perfect. Like, my gosh, I'm not perfect. And most of you all know that but you're being perfected and changed by the presence of God who is active in your life daily because you're seeking him daily. So are you a person of character? If you want a godly marriage, you want to have a godly character and you want to seek godly character. So to get really practical for a moment, if you're currently looking for someone, I would say pay really close attention to a few things. Look at their friends. Who are they surrounded themselves by? Are, are the majority of them pursuing Jesus? Because you tend to be like those who you're hanging around. And I don't mean that you can't hang out with, with those on the margins or those who are away from Christ. By all means, reach out and spend time with them. But who are you surrounding yourself by? Who are your closest friends? Look at how they treat their family. How does he talk about his mom? How, how do they treat people that serve them? You go to a restaurant, are they kind to the waiters and waitresses? I remember being on another date one time, and this one girl that I was with was literally making fun of and belittling one of the workers at this Dairy Queen. And I'm like, this is not cool. Like, I was just kind of, it was a double date with my brother and sister-in-law too, and my brother's looking at me like, Kev, not, this isn't good. <laughs> but do they have a work ethic? Do they take initiative? If they're jerks to everyone else, if they have no quality friends, if they're critical of everyone, they're always victims and they push you sexually and they distract you from God, these are just warning signs and flags that this is not godly character. 
Someone once said this, when a person shows you who they really are, believe them. The way people live is a reflection of what they believe because what we believe determines how we behave. So let's be a person of godly character and seek people with godly character. So if you're dating someone and they're not helping you get closer to Jesus, maybe they're even taking you away from Jesus. But at minimum, if you're just kind of stagnant, you might want to get the heck out of Moab and get back to Bethlehem. God has something so much better for you. Again, when I began dating Amanda at the beginning, one night she told me, she's like, in order to get my heart, you're going to have to go to God to get it. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, she kind of gave me this illustration, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but she kind of said, like, picture a mountain. She's like, we're kind of on both sides of it, and God's at the top. And she's like, as we continue to pursue him, he's going to bring us closer and closer together. And that's how I'll get her heart. And man, I'm like, I need to lock this girl down, put a ring on it. Like, she, she had won me over. And I might not have had her heart yet, but I was going to do everything possible to get that. But I knew that that meant I had to continue pursuing Jesus. And what I even loved was I had made this commitment not to date for a year. And I even asked her dad, like, man, how do I, how do I handle this? And, and he's like, what was the, the intent? Like, what was the heart behind your, your decision not to date for a year? And I'm like, because I need to lean in to my relationship with Jesus. I have to put God first. And he said, perhaps God is bringing Amanda into your life to help support you on that journey. And he's like, but if she's a distraction, if she's going to pull you away from that, you need to, to take space. Well, Amanda thinks I, I asked her to date that day as soon as I hung up the phone. I think I took more time to pray about it, but we'll agree to disagree. But I know relationships are complicated. And you might be thinking, Kev, you're calling me out. You're killing my game. Let's stop talking about relationships. But if you desire to build a life of righteousness and be a person after God's own heart, you have to take this seriously. Boaz is a man of standing. He's a man of character, and he notices Ruth's character. And the next thing we see is that they're actually exploring to see if there's a connection. They're exploring connection. So what we don't see is what kind of happens today where we hear about one another sliding into each other's DMs and the whole Netflix and chill. No, we don't see that. What we see is he invites her on a date in a sense. He's like, do you want to have lunch? And it's not even a private lunch. They're in a place where everybody's going to feel comfortable, and they're actually going to get to know each other. We see it in verse 14. This is what the text says. At mealtime, Boaz said, hey, why don't you come on over here and let's have some lunch together? Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And so when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And I like this. She ate all she wanted, and she had some left over. Again, it's just showing his generosity. Now, I don't know if she did the whole, like, all I want is a salad and then saved some leftover, or if she just scarfed it down and then still had some leftover. But what we do know about Ruth is that she doesn't move too fast, okay? Like, she doesn't say, well, thanks for lunch, thanks for the salad. What are you looking for in a wife? Do you want kids? What names do you have picked out for them? Like, kind of like how to lose a guy in 10 days. Like, here's a photo book of our children. <laughs> She's not doing that. 
Additionally, notice what else they're not doing on their first date. They're not making out. They're not fooling around with each other. They're not playing naked twister. Like, I don't know. I... <laughs> They're getting to know each other. They're making a connection because you want someone who will initiate. You want someone who will put in some effort. And next week, we'll see that, ladies, you may have to help your man along sometimes, but that's okay, and that's next week for the strange week. But you want someone who puts in effort to pursue you, not your body, but you. Over time, as Amanda and I got to know each other, as we, we took that time, as I had made that commitment not to date, it, it really forced us to slow things down. It forced us to get to know each other, what we valued, and we pursued one another, and we truly made a real connection. And some of our dates when we were out west was her taking me to her young adults. We went to a baptism service the very first Sunday there, and it was out at the ocean at sunset, and my mind was blown with the mountains behind. I'm like, what is this place? And we would go to night church on Sundays with the young adults, and the young adults group on Tuesday nights, and that was where we got to know each other. That's where we spent time together. And I'm not saying that you have to follow that exact same pattern, but it changes things when you explore the connection. And I say all this because in your relationships, you wanna seek godly character, you wanna explore the connection, and then we're gonna watch as Boaz and Ruth start showing consideration to one another. We see this in verse 15. Scripture says, as she got up to glean, she's going back to work in the fields, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let's, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So last week we learned that according to the Levitical law, they had to leave behind whatever fell on the ground. So as they were picking things, if any fell, they had to leave them. So that someone who's a widow or an outcast or someone who's poor could come along and pick up what was left behind. And what Boaz is doing, he's literally guarding her dignity. He, he's letting her work. She came to work for food, and he's letting her do that. He's not giving her a handout, but he's saying, hey, guys, let's make it easy on her. Give her a little extra. He's going out of his way to bless her. And we know that according to the law, they had to give her what was there, but he's going beyond that. He didn't just do what the law required. He's blessing her with so much more. And in verse 17, we read that Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. And what's an ephah? Well, essentially, it just means a whole lot of barley. Like, an ephah is about two weeks' worth of wages. So she worked for a day, but because of his generosity, she earned two weeks' worth. And it's kind of like when you're setting up an Easter egg for your grandkids or your kids, and you just kind of put them everywhere, and the kids go nuts. Like, I'm, that's what I'm picturing here. Like, there's just so much for her to pick up. And I would just say that for those in the dating realm, I would encourage you not to settle. Don't settle for whoever's there, but seek someone who puts an effort, who's going to go above and beyond to surpass your expectations. You don't want someone who just meets the expectations, like, meh, you'll do, you're breathing, you got a job. God wants us to be with someone and be the type of person that's going to exceed expectations. So gentlemen, even if you're married, guys, put some thought into a date. 
clean the car, the McDonald's wrappers from the passenger seat so she's not wearing them. And ladies, take note, if he brings you a thoughtful gift, it doesn't have to be expensive. Maybe he picked flowers from the side of the road, or the side of the road. But hopefully he takes you to a nice restaurant that maybe doesn't have a drive-through, sits you down and asks you questions and gets to know you and walks you to the door and protects your heart, your purity, honors you, values you. Because guys, if you want a Ruth, be a Boaz, be a giver, be generous, put some effort into it. Because you don't just attract what you want, you tend to attract what you are. So Boaz is seeking character, they're looking for a connection between each other. There's consideration for each other. And then what I like is they're actually starting to receive confirmation. Ruth comes home to her mother-in-law, and she's got this ephah, this mother load of grain. And she's like, Naomi, look what I got. And in verse 19, Naomi, her mother-in-law asks, where'd you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. She's essentially saying, whoever this guy is, I like him. Like, whoever did this, he's good. He's honorable. And what we know about Naomi is that she loved Ruth. If you remember in chapter one, she prayed for God to send Ruth a godly man to provide a husband for her. And so Naomi, who loves Ruth, and Ruth knows I can trust this woman, well, she's actually confirming that this is potentially a good candidate. And that's why it's always a good sign when those who love you the most like who you like. Because when those that love you the most, that are really good people, people that you trust, when they say, hey, I see potential in this person, I see potential in this relationship, when those people who love you the most confirm it, that's a really good sign. My dad used to always tell me too that you don't just marry the person, you marry the family whether you like it or not. So I wasn't just trying to impress one person. I'm like, man, I need to impress this whole family. And I, and I wanna make sure that I fit in well. And trust me, I could tell that they were making sure that I fit in well. So if you wanna have a good relationship with your in-laws, you, you've gotta win the family. And, and I remember going over to Amanda's parents for the first time, and I could sense that they were watching to see how I fit in. Do I, do I mix well? Do I engage in conversations? Do I contribute and help clean up? Am, am I polite? They knew I was going off to school to go into ministry, and they wanted to know my beliefs on certain things. Then they would challenge me on things I thought I was crazy on. And another time I came up, Amanda and I were going to a grease party, like the movie Grease, and I had like this big fake muscle shirt on and a pack of cigarettes in my sleeve. And then they had extended family over that time. I'm like, oh, hey, my hair slicked back. <laughs> but heck, I still think they're watching me sometimes. I got to go bring my A game today for Thanksgiving. <laughs> but as Amanda and I got more serious, her family started confirming things. And my family and friends started confirming things. So it wasn't just Amanda and I anymore saying, this is how we feel. But people who loved us began confirming our relationship. And hopefully you have some version of this in your own life. And it doesn't have to be a massive family. It could be a small group. It could be two or three friends. It could be a mentor. It could be, I said that weird. It could be a prayer partner. And you have this Christian community of people that you trust spiritually, you trust them. And when they like someone, it's a good sign. And when they don't like someone, well, I encourage you to listen. Because I know the common response is usually, oh, but I love him. He's, he's got so much potential. You know, you, like, you know I like her. 
So let me just say, please be careful with everyone else that you, please be careful when everyone else that you really trust doesn't like the person you're with. And I've just got to make a quick note here. This is especially true if you're engaged in premarital sex. I just have to go here because the Bible's clear that sex is a gift from God reserved for the covenant of marriage. And Proverbs 5 tells us that sex is intoxicating. And it's in your Bible. Like, I encourage you, read it. It's awesome. <laughs> so if sex is intoxicating, though, if you're having premarital sex, essentially you're drunk. And when you're drunk, well, people look a lot better than they are. <laughs> so I believe that if you're drunk on sex, it might be time to sober up. Like if your mom doesn't like him, your dad doesn't like him, your brother doesn't like him, your best friend doesn't like him, your dog doesn't like him, well, it's most likely you're not receiving the confirmation from the trusted people that you want in your life. So what do we see in Scripture? Naomi says, I like what I see. There's the confirmation. So Ruth shows up sweaty for her first date. She's not looking her best. Her hair's in a mess and she smells like dirt because she's been out in the sun and working in the fields. But he's not looking at what he just sees on the outside. He sees her character and he likes what he sees. And he gets to know her and he likes who he gets to know. And they show consideration for each other. And they start getting some confirmation. So what if you're dating right now and this isn't the qualities that you see? What if you're married right now and you're thinking, my marriage isn't where it should be or could be or where God wants it to be? Well, I want to let the text help us answer this question, and we'll spend even more time next week. But Ruth comes in and tells Naomi, and Naomi says, who is this guy who did this? And Ruth tells her, his name is Boaz. And Naomi's like, Boaz? He's a relative of ours. And then verse 20 says this, he's one of our guardian redeemers. And what is a guardian redeemer? Your version might say he's a kinsman redeemer. And this is one of the big themes in the book of Ruth, and we're going to spend more time in the weeks to come, but it's a metaphor. And the guardian redeemer is a person or relative whose role is to come in and provide for someone who's gone through significant loss. So when a family member loses a spouse, the widow has no means to provide for herself, a guardian redeemer protects her and provides for her and honors her and takes care of her. And what's crazy is that, legally speaking, Boaz is not obligated to be her guardian redeemer. He's not really the closest relative of all. And Ruth's not even an Israelite. So he doesn't actually owe her anything, like not a thing. Yet he chooses to give her everything. And it's such a beautiful picture that he's not operating off the law. He's operating by grace. And in the New Testament, we have this guardian redeemer, and his name is Jesus. He's the living son of God who protects us, who provides for us, who paid the debt for the forgiveness of our sins and meets all of our needs. And Jesus is the one who will work in all things, even in broken relationships, even in struggling marriages, even in the most terrible situations. Jesus is the one that when you call on him and when you seek him, he will always be found by you. And he is so good in his providential power. He's working all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So do you love him? Are you his disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Because he takes what's broken as our guardian redeemer and he makes all things new. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now, it doesn't matter how dark or sinful your life is, he makes all things new. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new comes. It doesn't matter how crazy your dating life is, it doesn't matter how screwed up marriage is. When you call on Jesus, he can renew, he can redeem, and he will be with you in your relationships. And better yet, if you are married or you are dating, it's when you both call on Jesus, he can do a transformative work in your lives. All things are possible, but it takes both of you pursuing him. Just like when Amanda had told me that we both had to go seek Jesus to draw closer together, I think that's the foundation for healthy relationships. Are you both seeking Jesus? But I want you to hear this, and I want you to feel this because I know there's so much pain out there right now. And I know that some of you might be barely able to hear this message. Like, good for you, Kev. Go to your thing with Amanda. I'm glad that you've got it going well. No, I know there's pain out there. So I want you to hear, there is no sin too great for God's grace. There is no sin too great for God's grace. There is no marriage too broken for God's healing. There is no relationship beyond God's redemption when two people will seek one God. And you can say, well, I can't make her do it. I can't make him do it. And you can't, but you can do what you can do. So if you're dating and it's a mess, what do you do? You've got some options. If it's not going well, fix it. Make a course correction. Do the hard work and ask God to help fix it. Honor God in your relationship and move forward. Perhaps the next step is you might even need to get married. And if neither of those are an option, well, it might be time to end it, to leave Moab and to head back to Bethlehem. Now, if you're married, this is trickier because you can't change him, you can't change her, but you can do the hard work that's required of you. You can ask God to help fix you, your heart, your marriage, your relationship. You can do everything possible to live at peace. And you can seek God and you can become a person of character and you can pray and fast and trust God to do what only he can do. No matter where you are, I want you to hear this and feel it. Jesus is our guardian redeemer and he is here right now. He loves you, he's with you, he's for you. And he's working in all things to bring about good to those who love him. So do you love him? because he absolutely loves you. So Heavenly Father, help us to know you and put you first in all that we do. God, I know that we're all in different places in our relationships, in our marriages, our dating life, our relationships even just with friends and family. God, I just pray that rather than focusing on others that need to change, that you will meet us where we are and help us to be changed by you. God, help us to walk faithfully with you, to know you, and to be transformed and changed from the inside out 
so that we can live at peace the best we can. God, this world is not an easy place. You know it, for you sent your son Jesus to come and to walk this earth, to show us what love is, who love is, and how to walk that out on earth. So God, I pray for your healing touch on our lives, on our relationships, on our marriages. God, I pray that we would be people full of love, grace, forgiveness. And I pray for those who are broken. I pray for those who are hurting, for people who have been betrayed. God, we pray for those who need healing from painful relationships. Be present with us. And Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We pray for miracles. We pray for transformation stories. And we pray that your power would be made evident. God, I pray that there would be testimonies that would come from people who turn to you, who turn their back on Moab and come back to Bethlehem and the God of Israel. You are the God who makes all things new. So we seek you now. And God, you are such a good God. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, we just look to you and say thanks. Thanks for your love, for your grace, for your forgiveness. Thanks for being our guardian redeemer. So even when we can't provide for ourselves, take care of ourselves, when we find ourselves in a new and foreign land, God, you are there to provide, to protect, and to help us through it. So God, we give our lives to you today. We surrender to you. And if that's your prayer, if you just need to resurrender to God, maybe it's your first time, maybe it's your millionth time, you just need God, you need his grace, you need his healing touch, just simply pray with me. Heavenly Father, just forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm making you first. You're my Savior. You're my guardian redeemer. Thank you for your forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit so that I can live for you, so I can know you, so I can show your love in all that I say and do. I just thank you for that new life. You have all of mine, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.